0: In the midst of um, lots and lots of people moving away from California, there's this mass exodus of people that are moving away from California, and, you know, people locally and, you know, sometimes internationally that are, have this negative view of America. I am so glad that I live where I do. And you may not realize this, but I chose this place right? As people who have been leaving California, I chose to move to California because my family and I were not Americans. We're Canadians. And this was our dream to live here. So as people who, you know, sometimes have looked at America and been like, man, what a a mess. I would never want to live there. We were like, we'll go send us. This is this is where we want where we want to be. And for people who are like, man, I am leaving California because it is going down. I'm like, I am I am, you know, getting citizenship. I'm putting roots down. This is where I'm going to stay because I believe that God's got something significant for California. Amen. Come on. He's not done with us yet. <sighs> so, happy Independence Day weekend. <clears throat> How many are familiar with the story of Jonah? I mean, even if, to be honest, many people, even if they've never been in church before, they are familiar with the story of Jonah, maybe not even realizing that it's a, it's a book from the Bible, right? Jonah is a classic kids' ministry story. It is told far and wide across the globe and every kids' ministry around the world, they talk about Jonah. But this is not just a story that's relegated to the kids' ministry. God has something for you and I in this little tiny four-chapter book. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Jonah. If you're you know, new to the Bible, you might, be, you might be saying, where on earth is the book of Jonah? Well, it's in the Old Testament. It's sandwiched in between Obadiah and Micah. And if that's not helpful to you at all, it's on page 705, at least in my Bible. And if you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screens in just, in just a moment. So our series that we're starting today is called Trending Now. And we're going to talk about some things over the next, I think it's about eight or nine weeks or so, that are at the forefront of our society. Things that are happening in our, in our culture now, we want to talk about some of those things. And as we do, it's going to be from a lens of, um, of our call that God has put on our lives to those that don't know Jesus. So what does the Bible have to say about some of these things that are happening in our culture, in our society? What is God's heart towards people that don't know Him? And what are we supposed to be doing? So Jonah chapter 1 we're going to read the entire chapter like it's it's only a, it's a small tiny book so there's only like 17 verses in Jonah chapter 1. All right. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise and go to Nineveh the great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. I want to I want to show you a little fun something. Go to the next slide. The good guys and they're the bad guys. Please don't send me there with a message of your mercy. Damascus or Jerusalem, I'll be there in a minute. Any town in Israel, just ask me, I'll be in it. Shiloh, Gilgal, Jericho, just say the word. But Nineveh, that is just absurd. Joppa, Aphek, Jezreel, they're all just fine. But Nineveh, Oh, Nineveh. No. Nineveh is where I draw the line. Now, I know I heard some of you singing along, right? And if, if, you've, if you've never seen that before, you're like, what on earth is that green thing? That was an asparagus. And if you're still like, what? It's called Veggie Tales. And like, it's, it's pretty awesome. So if you've never seen it before, you now have homework. Go research VeggieTales and you are welcome. All right, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call upon your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and for what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the man knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up. And throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land. But they could not. For the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord. Do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah. Threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And Jonah, oh, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, says, Go to Nineveh, and Jonah's like, Now nah, I'm good. I'm not gonna do that. I'm actually gonna go the other way. Why? Why would Jonah, who is a prophet, who hears the Lord, knows his voice, knows him well, get direction from God and go, nah, I'm not going to do that. The verses, in verse number one, it talks about how the great wickedness of Nineveh had come up before the face of God. And literally, what that means in the Hebrew, in the the original language, is it means it's come up before his face. And it's like God saying, this is all I can see. I can't see anything but the wickedness of this great city. The prophet Nahum, which is another book in the Bible, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it records a prophetic word against Nineveh. It's a woe to Nineveh. This is what it says. Woe to the city of blood. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, and jolting chariots. Charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears. Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number. People stumbling over the corpses. See, history also tells us that the Assyrians, and that's the country where Nineveh was, it was in Assyria, that they were a violent and brutal society. When the Assyrians conquered a land or when they conquered a city, they would take the prisoners of war, they would take some of them, and they would impale them on stakes, just leaving them hang there to slowly die for everyone to see. Then they would take the military leaders and the political leaders of the land or of the city, and they would skin them alive. Removing all the skin from their body. After they had removed all the skin from their body, they dug holes in the desert. And they buried these these men up to their necks in sand. And then then, then history tells us that they would pull their tongues out of their mouth. Not all the way, but like out. And then they would drive a stake through their tongue into the ground. This would cause them to literally go crazy and insane as they slowly died from thirst and from pain they would take the skins of these people that they had removed and they would put them on the walls of their city. They cut off people's noses, ears, fingers, hands. They poked out people's eyes. Some of them were decapitated and they would take the heads and they would, they would stack them up in these big pyramid shapes outside the gates of the city. This is the, the statement that they're making is, if you resist, this is what you get. They would take others and they would bury them alive in the city walls. So as they built the city walls, they would just put people in the wall and they would bury them alive. Women and children were sexually assaulted before being killed. And it's, it's believed, it's not, history can't confirm this, but it's believed that there were some cities, when they heard that the Assyrians were coming, that the entire population committed suicide so that they did not have to face this. You kinda, we kind of get a feel. We kind of begin to understand why Jonah was not interested in going to Nineveh. I mean, does anybody blame him? Now that we, we have a little bit of the backstory? anybody's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to go either. What is our response, though, to our society, to our culture, that is becoming increasingly anti-God? Biblical morals and values are not just being questioned, but they're being attacked. We see see good being called evil, and we see evil being called good. There are churches that are being targeted with vandalism because of what they stand for and what they believe in. A friend of mine posted a picture of of a church from Texas that was vandalized because they were baptizing people in water. Media is running a narrative of Christians, of us, followers of Jesus, being angry, unloving, and even hateful. Like, how do, we, how do we react to this? How are we supposed to respond? Does our self-preservation make us question God's leading us? You know, when he prompts us to pray for somebody, you know, in, in, in the store or at, or at work or, or share Jesus with somebody, does our self-preservation kick in and be like, mm, nah, God, I'm, I'm good. I think I'm okay. Do we choose silence over standing for justice because we don't want to face the rage of culture? And if you haven't noticed, culture's raging. Or, or maybe we lash out in anger. That's our response. Well, they're angry to me, so I'm going to lash back. And we rage against people who, who have opposite views and opinions and beliefs as we do. We rage back against them. when We put cynical, cynical Facebook posts up. What's our response? Even in this past week, as you see in, you know, in, in, in the news, that there's a couple musicians, one pink, has said, If you are pro life, do not listen to my music. What's the response? Or to the lead singer of Green Day who says, I'm renouncing my American citizenship over Roe, Roe v. Wade. I've seen some people and and even even leaders, church leaders, who are like, good, we don't listen to your music anyway. Bye-bye, you want to leave America, bye-bye. Is that our response, that cynicalness? Good, we're better off without you? Sounds a little Jonah-like to me. What about, let's let's bring it a little bit closer to home. What about our response to people that have personally wounded or traumatized us? Hasn't been on a large scale, but it's been on a personal scale. Does, Does your hurt prevent you from saying yes to Jesus and his call to love them? Do I feel justified in ghosting or canceling people because of how they've treated me, because of what they said against me, because they believe something that's different than I do? What about that person that tore your family apart? What about that relative that told nasty rumors about you that were completely untrue, caused a lot of trouble? What about that loved one that just walked out and abandoned your family? How do we respond to them? Am I using my fear or anger or my personal trauma as an excuse to run away from the word of the Lord? See, no matter how awful, no matter how terrible, no matter how despicable someone is, they are still loved by Jesus. It doesn't matter how hateful they are towards you. God is still extending his hand of mercy and grace and love towards them. He does not want them to die separated from Jesus. I have to ask, you know, we have to question ourselves, in the darkest place of our heart, in your secret thoughts, the place that you wouldn't even dare to speak those thoughts out loud. Do you not want God to show mercy to a lost and dying world and society? Because we feel like they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it because of how they treated you. They don't deserve it for because of how they've treated people groups or children or fill in the blank. You know who doesn't deserve the love, grace and mercy of Jesus? All of us. Every last person on the face of the planet. We are not worthy. We do not deserve. And so we need to watch ourselves as we come into relationship with Jesus that we don't sit up on our high and mighty place and be like shake our fingers, they don't deserve. They're not worthy of me demonstrating the love of Jesus, they're only deserving of wrath and of anger, judgment. That means, friends, people do things that are so heinous that when you hear about it or read about it, it causes you to shudder, feel faint and, and nauseous to your stomach. He still loves them. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. He said, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. And respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Do not even the ungodly do that? There is no exception clause to the love of Jesus. He loves me, and he loves them. And he tells me to show them his love through me. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, but Jonah runs in the opposite direction. Literally, show the the map. I think it's on the next slide. There we go. He's in Joppa. He's called to go to Nineveh. He goes to Tarshish. Like, literally. He is like, it wasn't even, it's not a joke saying he went the other way. He literally went the other way. And like, far the other way. Like, that's far. It's like, so I'm like, okay, how, I, don't, I don't understand like how far that is. I can, I can break it down because I looked. I'm like, well, how far is 550 miles? This would be like like Jesus calling me to Sacramento. Because it's about 550 miles from San Diego. And instead of going to Sacramento, I go to Pittsburgh. Now listen, I'm not saying that Sacramento's like Nineveh. One one commentary makes this made this comment about how far this is and what like what was Jonah doing? He was saying that it would have taken Jonah about a year to reach Tarshish. A year on a boat just to get there. He wasn't messing around. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, uh, I am out of here." Craig Rochelle said this, you can always find a boat going in the opposite direction from where God is calling you. Have you ever tried to run from God? I have. If you haven't, free advice, you didn't ask for it, I'm going to give it to you. It doesn't work very well. Running from God. I ran from God um, as a, as a, a you know, I think I was about 14 or so. I ran, I started running from God. And it took me until I was almost 21, so seven years it took me to learn this lesson. You don't actually run from God, you run into God. And I ran into God in the most unusual places. Parties, late night drunken conversations, in my nightmares. Like, everywhere I ran, as far and as hard as I tried to run away from God, I ran into Him over and over and over, It was like running into a wall. It wasn't this, oh, I run into God and there's this soft, squishy, great feeling. No, no, no. It was like head down, running into a wall over and over and over again. I, I'm not a, I didn't grow up on a farm. I'm not a, I'm, I, farms are great, but I'm not a farm boy. I grew up in the mountains, um, the Rocky Mountains. But I went and visited a farm once with some friends. Uh, We stayed overnight, and we were gone gone for the weekend. And it was late at night, and so when you're out away from all, like, the lights and stuff, it gets really dark. And so we're walking through one of the fields, and it's dark. Like, you can't see anything. And I just happened to be walking out in front of, like, my three, I think there was three or four friends behind me. And I'm walking along, cannot see anything. I'm, I'm fairly certain we're going in the direction of the farmhouse where we're staying. I don't know. And all of a sudden, from behind me, I hear this, Craig, watch out! And I start to run because on, there was like a little barbed wire fence that we were walking kind of alongside. And there was a bull on the other side of the fence that was very angry that we were out there. And so they said, Craig, watch out. And I started running. I Literally, I like I dropped my head and I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm gonna, like I thought the bull was coming. This was like running, the running of the bulls for me. And then all of a sudden, bam, I ran head first into something. My feet flipped up into the air and I slammed on the ground and I just laid there. My friends come running over and they're like, we said watch out. Why did you run? And I was laying on my back going, because I thought the bull was coming. They were saying, Craig, watch out, because I was about to walk into this. It was a shoot that they push the cattle into and there's a long metal pole that sticks out that squeezes the animals so that they can brand them or castrate them or whatever they do. So there's this big metal pole sticking out and they were like I was going to walk into it. Uh-uh. I ran into it as fast as I could. That's like what it feels like when you're trying to run away from God and you run into God. You know, he never he never made me stop running. I was free to continue to run into that wall for the rest of my life. But instead I chose to surrender and run to him, not into him. See, when you run to God, that's when you get that hug, that warm squishy feeling. It's not when you run into him. We don't we also don't always run from God. Sometimes we just drift. We just drift. Drift away. We drift away from God by just doing nothing. You don't have to do anything, and you will just find yourself drifting away. God speaks to you. You do nothing. You encounter God in worship. You do nothing. You hear the word of the Lord, and you just do nothing. And that's when you drift away. The first time that I... That I was at the ocean, that I, I came to the ocean, was actually here in Southern California. I was a young teenager and I came to visit my uncle who at the time lived in Anaheim. Um, and growing up in the Rocky Mountains, I knew all about like doing stuff out, outdoors there, you know, rafting and floating down rivers and creeks and jumping into them. I knew all about that stuff, but the ocean, I had no clue about the ocean. So we went to the beach one day, and, uh, and he, he, he gave me a, a boogie board, and I ran out into the, into the water, and I was trying to catch the waves for about an hour or so, and then I was done, and I wanted to come back in. So I, I walked in, and as soon as I got to the sand, I looked up, and nothing looked familiar. And I, so I started walking into where I thought, like, my uncle was set up, and where we, where we you know, made camp or whatever, and nothing so I start walking up and down the beach. I'm looking for my uncle, and I'm really confused because nothing looks familiar to me. I eventually found him, and what I realized was that you drift in the ocean. It takes effort to not drift away. So when you're playing in the waves, and you just go out, and you're not paying attention, you come back in, you're not where you went in. I was actually like three lifeguard towers down the beach from where, from where I started. When we do nothing with what God says or with what God has done in our lives, we drift away from him. And it's the same thing as intentionally running away. See, intentionally or unintentionally disobeying God is going in the wrong direction. We can't play that card of like, I didn't make a choice. I I didn't choose. I just, I I did nothing. Doing nothing is a choice. So Jonah jumps on a boat. And he goes to sleep below deck. Meanwhile, God causes a storm to come against the ship. The storm is so great that the ship is about to be broken up into pieces. The wind is raging. The waves are pounding the boat. And the sailors, they cast lots to try and determine who, who caused the storm. And the lot falls to Jonah. Jonah tells him, hey, throw me overboard. The storm will stop. These are, <laughs> these are good guys, right? because if they, like they could have just off like over the side throw you in it's going to stop done they didn't they didn't want to kill Jonah they knew that over the edge of the boat was certain death so they tried their hardest to row back to land nothing doing so they picked Jonah up over the side he goes and into the water you know sometimes we create our own storms cuz it didn't have to be this way for Jonah he caused the storm. But not only, did, not only did he cause the storm that impacted his life and that affected him, it impacted everybody else on the boat. And that's just the focus of the story that we read. Were there other, were there other ships in the storm? Were there other people in the storm? Maybe. But for sure, everyone on this boat was impacted by Jonah's storm, the one that he caused. How often... Do we cause our own trouble that makes issues not only for us, but the people in our lives, the people that we love, the people that we care for, family members, maybe people that we work with, that we impact them because of our storms? We often, we live like there's no consequences for what we do. How do you, how you respond to God's word in your life will influence the people around you you're either going to influence them in a good way, in a positive way, like towards Jesus, or you're going to influence them in a negative way, pushing them farther away from him. We can either obey his word, and that's how we positively influence people towards Jesus, or we can disobey his word. And that's how we negatively impact and influence the people around us. Even if it's actively disobeying or just passively, nah, I'm not going to do anything with that. And this creates storms of our own doing. And they bring a negative impact to us, the people around us, and if we're honest, I mean, storms are really a real pain. I've known a lot of people over my life in ministry that have gone through storms, and they're in the midst of a storm, and many, many, many people, they cry out, Why? Why is this happening to me? What did I do? I didn't do anything. And all of this stuff is just happening to me. And I step back and say, yes, yes, you did. You were a knucklehead. You made a dumb decision. The word of the Lord came to you and you chose to disobey. This is your storm that you caused and you created because of your disobedience. Now, listen, Emily, I know that's harsh. If you're thinking, like, I'm not coming to counseling session with you now. I don't actually say that to people very often. But listen, sometimes, sometimes we just need to hear it straight. Right? This is your storm. You did this. Don't be a knucklehead. We need to take personal responsibility for our decisions. We don't like that taking responsibility for our choices instead of passing the blame on and just claiming innocence. I didn't do anything. Maybe. Maybe you didn't do anything because not every storm that comes your way do you cause. Sometimes they're demonic storms. Sometimes they're just storms of life. But before we just throw our hands up in the air and claim, man, I didn't do anything, how about we take a step back and we ask Holy Spirit, hey, can you show me, did I do this? Did, did, Did I not do something you asked me to do? and you just give him space to put his finger on something in your life show you the way out of the storm last week Jim Penner spoke one of our one of our board members and, and elders and he made this statement he said as we follow Jesus he will get us where he wants us to be the question is do you want to get there in the belly of a whale or on a cruise ship god's will is for us to walk out the word of the lord in our lives in obedience that's what he has for us that's what he wants Us to walk and live in obedience. That's the cruise ship. But sometimes we choose the whale because we're disobedient before we come to the place of choosing to be obedient. I don't believe that the whale was God's will. Jonah's in the ocean and the storm stops. Now, This is what it says in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Did you catch it? Pun is literally intended there. That was a really bad dad joke. I'm sorry, I'm moving on. Where did the fish come from? It came from the Lord, right? Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah can't miss the fact that God provided the fish what are Jonah's options here before the fish he's got no options Jonah is dead he is going to drown he's in the middle of the sea there's no land in sight the storm has stopped the sailors aren't bringing him back on the boat they know like that's a bad decision right He's got no options. So the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. This may not be a great option for Jonah, but the Lord provided. This is God's mercy. This is God's love and kindness towards Jonah, who is in complete rebellion. The word of the Lord will come to you. And when it does, you have a choice. You can obey or you can disobey. See, when you... When the Lord speaks to you, you will always find a ship sailing the other direction. If you do not obey and you walk in rebellion, storms are guaranteed to come. And God will use them to get your attention. If that doesn't work, he might just allow you to face your greatest fear or your worst nightmare. But it's important to remember, in the midst of the storm, or when you're facing your worst fears, that he loves you. And that he has a plan for you. He's got a call on your life for you to reach a person or a people group or a city or a region. This is the word of the Lord for you. He wants you to reach them with his love and with his power. And you've got a choice. You can keep running or you can come back to him. If you keep running, I'm pretty much guaranteeing that the storms are going to get worse and they're not going to let up. God was not trying to kill Jonah. God doesn't try to do anything. God does stuff. Right? He didn't need this. If he was going to kill Jonah, he didn't need the storm. He didn't need the fish. He could do it with a word. He was not trying to kill Jonah. He was trying to get Jonah's attention. He was trying to get Jonah to obey. It was always Jonah's decision. God just kept speaking louder and louder and louder and from what I read in the Bible and from my life experience. God doesn't call us to things that we're comfortable with. He doesn't call us to things that are easy. The word of the Lord comes to us and he calls us and he gives us direction to places, to people, and to situations where we're not comfortable. Because Jesus isn't looking for your comfort. He's looking for your obedience. He's not looking to use you in your strength. He's looking to use his strength in your weakness. Paul clearly says in in, in the New Testament, he says that God chooses the weak and the foolish. That's us. We're the weak. We're the foolish. Why? So that he can display his strength through us. That he can display his wisdom through our lives. Listen, I'm not, I would never, ever, ever, Promise you an easy life if you follow Jesus. It's gonna be hard. Life is hard, right? Whether you walk with Jesus or not, no one escapes life unscarred. Life is hard. But you can do it in rebellion to Jesus, which will cause even more hurt and pain and storms in your life, or you can walk with Him, the one that provides the fish to get you through the storm, the one that sleeps in the front of the boat. As the storm is raging. Your comfort and feelings aren't a factor in following God's direction. God's heart is mercy and grace and love and salvation to those that don't know him. To those that hate him. And by extension, they hate us. Because Jesus said, they hated me and they're going to hate you too. He uses us as his messengers to demonstrate his love and to declare the way to life. Jesus is the way to life. Jesus is the only way to life. There's not multiple paths and multiple ways to get to God and and to get to heaven. There's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but by me. There is one way. I told someone earlier this week that Jesus is the most inclusive ever. He will take he, he takes everybody, anybody, you are everyone is welcome, but he's also the most exclusive because there's one way it's his way. that's it. We are called to Nineveh. We are called to Nineveh. We are citizens of heaven we are residents of earth where people are broken, they're hurting, they're angry, they're rebellious towards Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord today. Go to Nineveh. Declare the mercy of God. Demonstrate his love. Show the kingdom through your life. Show the kingdom through your words and through your actions. I shared with, I shared with Ryan this morning. We were having a, a conversation and and I shared a couple stories. If, if you're not aware, we run Facebook prayer ads. It's just, if you're within 10 miles of the church and you're on your Facebook, it, it might pop up. And it's just saying like, hey, how can we pray for you? It's just, that's literally all we're doing, asking how we can pray for people. And you, you probably wouldn't be surprised how many, how many people reach out for prayer. But also, how many people reach out in anger. They 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 lash out to us and there's so we go ahead and we delete we delete the comments because people will cuss us out on the on the comments and then it opens up a direct message where we can where we can talk and I ha- actually have a chance to 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 pray with them I'll send a, a voice message prayer to them um, and every once in a while when I sense the Holy Spirit is 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 on it I'll respond to angry comments and I've responded to a few and and there was this one this one lady. Um, she, she cussed us out on the, on, the, on the comments on the page or on the post. And so I went in and I deleted it. And then I went to the direct message because it automatically sends a direct message. And she responded there too. And she said this, I'm a Satanist. And that's all she said. And so I took a moment and I hit the record button. And I said, hey, this is Pastor Craig. Thanks so much for reaching out. It's okay that you're a Satanist. I've prayed for lots of Satanists. Let me know how I can pray for you today. And that was it. She wrote back a few minutes later, and it was the tone was, she was no longer cussing me out. She was like, wow, thank you so much for being so kind and not making this an issue. I'm okay today. Thank you very much. Completely changed. These are the, we're, we're called to these people. So angry. There was another, there was one other lady, I'll tell you this other story. That um, she commented on there, God doesn't answer prayers, there's no such thing as miracles, and she's just this long list of things. And then she did it again in the direct message. And so I responded, and I said, man, I'm so sorry that that you've been hurt. And like, there was a lot to it, but there was obviously a lot of hurt and pain that was driving her anger. And I said, I'm so sorry that you're hurt like that. And that you, you were treated this, this way. And she responded back in anger again. Show me just, I want examples and, and, and people and, and specifics on miracles that you've seen. And so I did a couple. And then, you know, I responded back that way. And then again, she responded in anger. And, uh, and she said, I know that this is not Pastor Craig and that you do not read these messages and that you do not respond. And I'd just been sending, like, typing on my responses. And so I took my phone and I hit the record button and I said, hey, this is Pastor Craig. I actually respond to every message on here and I personally pray for every person with an audio prayer to everyone who tells me how I can pray for them. How can I pray for you? And that was it. That was the end. However, in her past and her history that she had been treated maybe by by church or, or church people or followers of Jesus, it didn't matter to me what mattered was just to express the love and the kindness of Jesus towards her. To let her know someone was apologizing. To let her know someone was really there. That wasn't—it's It's not a gimmick. I don't know if they'll ever reach out again. But in that moment, they were extended the love and the kindness and the mercy of Jesus. Who's continuing to reach out to them even though they're raging in anger at him. And at his sons and daughters. God has not given up on people. There is a great revival coming where the masses of people will receive Jesus and enter into the kingdom, and he wants you to do it. He wants to use you to welcome them in. He wants to use you to introduce them to his son Jesus. He wants to use you to heal the sick, to to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, to cast out demons. He wants to use you. Not just some obscure person somewhere else, you sitting here, you watching online. He wants to use you. God has not given up on the worst of mankind, and He never will. He's sending us to them. Will you go? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and you would just increase your conviction upon our lives. Do not let us rest when you are sending us to a person, to a people group, to a place to deliver your message of love and kindness, mercy, life through Jesus. I pray that we would hear your voice so loud in our ears that we could not ignore you. Father, I'm humbled that you would choose to use people like us to share your message of love and salvation to the world. We humble ourselves before you. Not our will, but your will. I pray that you would use us to introduce people to Jesus. That you would use us to demonstrate the power of your kingdom. To see people receive life and freedom in Jesus' name. If you're here today and, you know, you're, you're like Jonah. You're running. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. And as I described what my life was like, as I continually ran into that wall over and over and over again, you're like, geez, that's my life. I have these weird random conversations about Jesus, and I just keep running into, boom, boom, boom. Maybe you never connected the dots before. You need to know today that's Jesus, and he's saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to give you life and freedom. And if that's you, and you don't have that relationship to Jesus, but you're like, that's that's what I want, just lift your hand up. I want to take a moment I want to pray for you. All right. Family, that's our that's our message. God's calling us to Nineveh. Will you go?